Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon. Today's Wednesday, March the 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day. As you see, I have my green on for tonight. I may be called Big Recon, but my mother's maiden name was Gallagher, so there's Irish running through these, this blood too. So this week's episode, I'm actually doing a double topic episode, and as you can see, the hat for the night is that of the number two seed, Ohio State Buckeyes in the upcoming NCAA basketball tournament. We're going to get to the other jersey I'm wearing behind me as I do my Mets preview all in the same episode. Because Saturday night, I'm not going to do it live, but I am recording doing an NFL hot stove update with Alex from Row 7. We're going to get into all the moving and shaking, and we're going to talk about how he's ready to kill the Chicago Bears. So I did my very first Big Recon video two years ago this time of year. And I did it by showing you that when I do my NCAA bracket, I do it with highlighters for the first round and for the play-in games. And pen the rest of the way through. And I am not like Mike Golick and Mike Greenberg, who years ago used to play their game and they would call it the sheet of integrity. I only do one. And yes, I'm a bit of a homer. And yes, I'm a bit of a believer in certain things. But I own what I say about the tournament. And I play my one sheet and I see how I do. Then we will get into what I think the New York Mets 26-man roster will look like. And I make some, I put my lineup together, and then I go into what I think will happen for the 2021 season. I talk about where I think they'll end up. I talk about who I think also will get into the playoffs this year, and ultimately who will win the World Series. Bet you can't guess who I think is going to win the World Series. So, let's start with the biggest event of the year in all of college sports, the NCAA Tournament. I have been doing brackets since I was in middle school and then into high school, got really into it. But now it's different. Now I'm actually trying to put together a bracket that I can believe in and take to my listeners and say, hey, here's why I picked these games. Let me see what you think. So let's start at the top. And I'm going to show you this now. The bracket is filled out. I'll bring it a little closer. Highlighter for the first round. Pen all the way through. For those who just listened to the episode, I can supply a picture if you request. So let's start with the play-in games, which start, which are all tomorrow. And remember, the entire tournament is being played in Indianapolis, Indiana. At different spots around there. So, the first play-in game I'm going to talk about is Norfolk State and Appalachian State. Didn't watch much of these guys during the year. Didn't watch much outside of Ohio State, to be very honest. So I've done some research. Um, listen, I believe in App State ever since they did what they did all those years ago in the Big House. So I have App State winning that game, and they will go on to play Gonzaga in uh, the first round. Uh, the second number 16 seed game is Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern. Uh, Mount St. Mary's. Uh, listen, Delhi went to Mount St. Mary's. Uh who plays for the Cavaliers, so Mount St. Mary's. The 11-seed play-in between Wichita State and Drake, got to go with the Shockers, Wichita State. And the other number 11, which is two of the college basketball Blue Bloods, as Michigan State will play against UCLA. Now, not a great year for either team. Michigan State did not last long in the Big Ten tournament. Sorry, needed a sip of water. Um, UCLA did not fare that great in the Pac-12. I'm wearing green. 
I'm a Big Ten guy. I'm going to go Michigan State in that game to get to the next round of the tournament. So we're going to start on the top left-hand side, which is the Western bracket. Uh, you have number one seed Gonzaga playing the winner of the play-in between App State and uh, Norfolk State. Of course, I have Gonzaga advancing to round two. The 8-9 matchup, Oklahoma and Missouri. Again, I'm going Oklahoma. Had a great year, and the Big 12 is loaded with big men. Um, I'm sorry, loaded with guards. And guard plays really what gets you through in this tournament. So I like Oklahoma there. Uh, Creighton and UC Santa Barbara. No upset here. Creighton, I think, will handle UC Santa Barbara pretty easily. My first upset of the year. The 4-13 game between Virginia and my cousin Patrick's alma mater, Ohio University, winning this game. I like Mac basketball. I've always liked Mac basketball. And I go back to Gary Trent, who was the shack of the Mac. So that's where I am with this one. I like OU to win this game and get to the second round in a date with Creighton. Uh, the 6-11, which is the Wichita State Drake winner. I got USC winning that game. USC had a good year. Uh, they play defense too, which a lot of these teams don't really do that well. Uh, the 314 Kansas and Eastern Washington, it's not even a game. I got Kansas in that one big. Uh, the 710 Virginia Commonwealth and Oregon. Again, Oregon was a top five team for part of the year. I got Oregon. And the 215 Grand Canyon University against Iowa. Iowa, all day long. I do have a 215, uh, Upset, though. But, again, you'll see why. So now we get into the Eastern bracket, where, unfortunately, the top seed in the East is that hated team up north, the University of Michigan. They get the winner of the Mount St. Mary's-Texas Southern game. Nick, my buddy who's been on the ep on the show before, and I know who's going to be giving me help with the mock draft coming up, he actually said they said on CBS over the weekend, we were watching the Ohio State uh run to the Big Ten championship game in the tournament. He said, please, somebody said, please let um, App State be the play-in game for Michigan because that would have been great. After the big upset in 2007, App State went into the uh, the big house and beat Michigan up there, which was great. Uh, so, yeah, Michigan wins that game over uh, Mount St. Mary's. I have St. Bonaventure in a small upset in the 9-8 game against LSU. Uh, listen, the Bonnies are a New York school, so I, I got to go with my gut there. I just like the Bonnies. My 12-5 game is Colorado against Georgetown. I know I am a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, but I got to tell you how I got there. When I was growing up in upstate New York before I moved to Ohio, I would watch the Knicks with my father, and my favorite player was Patrick Ewing. There came a day when I was in college and a buddy of mine came up to me and said, yo, your boys just got rid of Patrick Ewing and the Knicks have been dead to me ever since. Patrick Ewing gets a win in the first round of the tournament and a 12-5 upset of Colorado and Georgetown moves on to play in round two. The 4-13 game, UNC Greensboro and Florida State. I got the Seminoles in that one. Again, another good year in the ACC for Florida State. The 6-11, I have another upset. And I have Michigan State beating BYU. Sparty can play some D. I think they can smother BYU and win the uh, win the battle on the glass and get a win and get into the second round. Texas beats in-state uh, team Abilene Christian. 
uh, and I think they're going to walk for that. I have an upset in the 10-7 as Maryland beats Connecticut. Uh, maybe I'm a Big Ten homer, but I think Maryland still plays ACC basketball. Not in conference, but in the way they play. Um, and as much as it hurts me and as much as Nick said to me tonight on the way home, he believes it will be a 2-15 upset in Iona beating Alabama. I have Bama winning and getting to the second round. Now we go to the top right of the bracket. We go to the south bracket, and we get to the 1-16, which is Hartford against Baylor. Listen, Baylor's, the, I believe, the number two seed in the entire thing. Baylor wins that one away. Again, small upset in the 8-9. I got Wisconsin beating North Carolina. Um, the six, the five twelve. I have Villanova advancing after Villanova lost the big, uh, Big East championship game to uh, Georgetown. Four thirteen Purdue. Uh, listen, Big Ten's got the most teams in the in the uh, tournament this year for per conference. The, I, I got all the Big Ten teams playing well. Texas Tech be, beats Utah State. Going a lot of chalk here. Uh, Arkansas beats Colgate. Uh, I got Vatek over Florida in the ten seven upset which isn't really an upset. And we get to the game of the weekend. The number 15 Oral Roberts University plays the number two Buckeyes of O-H-I-O State. Ohio State's going to win that game. Now, Oral Roberts has the guy with the best scoring average in the, in the country, but they give up the most points. I think Ohio State can play a little defense, get that game won. Now we go down to the Midwest region, where this whole thing is being played in the Midwest. And we get to the 116 matchup, and I have uh, Illinois is going to roll Drexel. I'm sorry, the Cats are playing with something under the table. Uh, Loyola Chicago beats Georgia Tech in the 9-8 game. I have another 12-5 upset in Oregon State over Tennessee. Never been a huge Tennessee fan, so I'm going to take Oregon State there. Uh, Oklahoma State is the 4-13 winner against Liberty. 11-6 upset in Syracuse beating San Diego State because Syracuse can play some defense. Uh, West Virginia beats Moorhead. I have Rutgers beating Clemson in the 10-7 game. So all the Big Ten teams, I'm pretty sure I put through to the next round. And in the biggest upset that I am predicting for the first round of the NCAA tournament, it is the 2-15 game in the Midwest where the Vikings of Cleveland State will bring a win home in the tournament and beat Houston to advance to the second round. As the story goes, the head coach at Cleveland State actually played at Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary with LeBron James. And when they cut down the nets when he won the Horizon League, he screamed, Cleveland, this is for you. Just like LeBron did now six years ago, in or five years ago, excuse me, in winning the 2016 NBA championship for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's the first round. Couple of upsets. I got a couple of games. You can call me a homer, including one of the upsets. But listen, I pick it once, and this is what I go with. Going back up to the top left, Gonzaga plays Oklahoma in round two. I got Gonzaga moving on to the Sweet 16. Creighton will beat OU and move on to the USC in a small upset over number three, Kansas. I have going to the Sweet 16. Iowa will beat Oregon and go to the Sweet 16. Uh, Michigan gets past the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure and gets to the Sweet 16. 
Uh, I have Georgetown outlasting Florida State to go to the Sweet 16. Michigan State's Cinderella run from the play-in game to now ends in round two as Texas will move on to the Sweet 16. And unfortunately, it breaks my heart that Alabama is going to go to the Sweet 16, but you'll see why when we're done. Over in the top right-hand corner, the South Bracket, South Region. Here is an upset. Wisconsin beats Baylor to go to the Sweet 16. If they can get past North Carolina in their tremendous rebounding, they can get past Baylor. I just think they play too much defense. Uh, Villanova beats Purdue to go to the Sweet 16. Arkansas over Texas Tech. Buckeyes over Virginia Tech. Down in the Midwest bracket, Loyola loses to Illinois. Big shock. Uh, of the two O State teams playing, I have Oregon State beating Oklahoma State to go to the Sweet 16. That's a 12 into the Sweet 16 out of the Midwest. Syracuse beats West Virginia, and Rutgers ends Cleveland State's magical run and ends up in the Sweet 16. Back up to the top left, Gonzaga beats Creighton to go to the Elite Eight. USC loses to Iowa, and Iowa moves on to play Gonzaga in the Western uh, Region Final. Michigan beats Georgetown and moves on to the, uh, the East Region Final. And number two, Alabama beats Texas to set up a 1-2 in the East as well. Down in the, in the South, excuse me, Wisconsin loses to Villanova as they move on. Arkansas loses to Ohio State, and Ohio State gets into the Elite Eight. Uh, first time they're there under Chris Holtman. Illinois beats Oregon State to get the Elite Eight, and Syracuse beats Rutgers. The Orange Men go to the Elite Eight. So here we are, the Elite Eight. We are one step from the Final Four. Gonzaga punches its ticket, Final Four, beating Iowa. Alabama upsets Michigan and goes to the Final Four to play Gonzaga. You're going to see a theme here very, very soon. Ohio State shocks Villanova or beats Villanova to go to the Final Four for the first time in many years. And down in the Midwest, Illinois holds serve, beats Syracuse in the regional final, and ends up in a Final Four here in Indianapolis. On the left side of the draw, Gonzaga and Alabama. The number one team in the country against the SEC champion. Now normally if this was football, picking Bama is an easy thing to do, Gonzaga, whatever. This will be a tough one. I think Gonzaga not being able to play home games is going to run into them here. Alabama wins their game against Gonzaga in the Final Four and gets to the championship game. Now to the other side. A rematch of this year's Big Ten championship game. On the same floor, Ohio State and Illinois. The Buckeyes came up short in overtime. They do not come up short this time. I know, Homer, but I believe they can get it done. And for only the second time in NCAA tournament history, the two schools who played for the football championship will play for the basketball championship. The first time, it was in 2007, when Florida beat Ohio State under, Florida under Urban Meyer beat the Jim Trestle number one Buckeyes, in the BCS National Championship game, and then Florida under Billy Donovan held serve and beat Ohio State in the championship game. That's when they had Greg Oden. 
But unlike January, this goes an entirely different route. I've been called a homer. I have been called crazy. I have been called insane for what I'm about to say right now. But for the first time, I believe since the 60s, the college basketball national champion will reside. Ohio, OH, Ohio State wins the tournament, beating Alabama, getting some revenge for the football team. And again, I will put a picture of it. This, the picture I will put up will be my bracket, will be the, the front page of this video. So you know I'm not kidding. I will do a recap of the tournament once I am probably proved wrong. And if I'm not, I will get more gear to make my wife mad than I have in the house. So the Bucks win the national championship. Uh, parties will happen on High Street. People will go crazy. But there's something bigger than the tournament happening. 14 days from tomorrow. Time to change the hat. Sorry for the bald head. 14 days from tomorrow at 7.10 p.m. in Washington, D.C., Max Scherzer will tow the rubber for the second time in three years against the New York Mets at home, and he will pitch against the best pitcher in the game, the man with the lightning arm, Jacob deGrom, as the New York Mets uh, quest for a third World Series championship and a second appearance in the World Series since 2015 kicks off in earnest on April the 1st. I am so excited for opening day. I actually usually take opening day off. I didn't this year because the Mets are the 7-10 game on ESPN. And guess what? I am going to sync my TV to my phone through my Bluetooth speakers and I'm listening to the radio because ESPN's broadcasts are absolute hot garbage. I don't care who's doing the game. They want to interview people. They want to talk about stuff. Broadcast the game. So I will have Howie and Wayne coming through the speakers and on Friday, we will get to hear the the best broadcast team in the game. Gary, Keith, and Ron will be back with us. Actually, I think they're going to be back Saturday. I don't think the Mets play Friday night. So that's when it starts. We are 15 days. Jerry Grody, Carlos Beltran, 15 days away. So I want to break down what I think the Mets 26-man roster will look like tonight. Um, I'm going to start... I'm going to break down where I th what I think they need to do to get to this point to win the World Series, to get to the playoffs. And then I'm going to go through, I'm going to pick my division winners. I'm going to pick my uh, World Series winner. And I'm going to pick my, um, I'm going to throw some picks in for MVP and, uh, and Cy Young Award. So, let's start with the Mets 26-man roster. This is the deepest roster the New York Mets have had in years. And here's why I say it like that. The Mets now have a roster that has depth at every position. And I'm not talking organizational depth. I'm talking major league depth. It's not guys coming off the bench who you don't know who they are. It's guys like Kevin Pillar, who, defensive metrics or not, could still be a gold glove outfielder. It's Albert Almora Jr., who can play center field with the best of them, and I believe will spell Brandon Nimmo at times. It's guys like Luis Guillorme of the 22-pitch at bat the other day. It's guys like Jonathan VR who can play multiple positions and can run. So the pitching staff, we start at the top with the man. The best pitcher in baseball, Jacob DeGrom, who, by the way, looks absolutely unhittable right now. 
I believe that Stroman will get the ball in game two. Mar uh, Carlos Carrasco says he will be ready for game three. Uh, Taiwan Walker will pitch out of the four, which is actually pretty good for a guy like Taiwan Walker to be pitching out of the four. Um, and if I had to pick right now who's going to start the season in the rotation in the five, because it's between three guys. It's between Joey Lucchese, who's pitched very well. It's between David Peterson, um, who pitched very well last year. And Jordan Yamamoto, who I didn't know a whole lot about other than a couple of starts, but has looked very, very good in spring training. So the Mets have some depth. They have some depth on the bench. They have some depth in the rotation. Uh, if Cookie's not ready, I think it's going to be uh, Peterson and Lucchese. If Cookie is ready, I think it's going to be Lucchese because Peterson has options. Um, so the Mets would start the season. Jacob DeGrom, Marcus Stroman, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, Joey Lucchese as the, as the five starters. I wouldn't be shocked if they got rid of a uh, reliever and went with a six-man rotation. Because remember, at the beginning of the year, the Mets do not have Seth Lugo. The Mets do not have Noah Syndergaard, who, by the way, should be ready by June. Uh, in the bullpen, um, I believe it's going to be Dellen Batances will be in the bullpen. Jerry Blevins, or not Jerry, I'm sorry, uh, Jerry's Familia. Um... Hang on one second. So Diaz, Batances, Familia, uh, Loop, who they just brought in from Tampa Bay this year, uh, Gaselman and Castro will be back in the bullpen. And I tell you what, I would give Jerry Blevins another shot. He's a great lefty on lefty guy. He can get righties out. Um, and when you pick the Mets to come back. I give you a chance. So I got Jerry Blevins uh, in the back end of that bullpen, or really the front end. The opening day lineup uh, will look a little something like this. Brandon Nimmo will lead off and play center field. Newly acquired and hopefully staying for good, Francisco Lindor will bat second and play shortstop. Michael Conforto will bat third and play right field. The polar bear, Pete Alonzo, will bat fourth and play first base. Dominic Smith, if healthy from the wrist issue he's having, they say it's just soreness. Let's see. Uh, Dominic Smith will bat fifth and play left field. Jeff McNeil, the flying squirrel, will bat sixth and play second base. J.D. Davis, the third baseman who may see platoon time with Luis Guillorme, will bat seventh and play third base. And behind the dish is uh, James McCann. He will catch and bat eighth. And, of course, with no DH, the man will pitch and bat ninth, and that's Jacob DeGrom. So that's what we're going to see on April 1st. Um, I really don't see Luis Rojas doing a different lineup. Uh, this is the best lineup you can put out there. The Mets are very left-handed heavy. Now, it doesn't matter when you're against a right-handed pitcher. But the good thing about the Mets being left-handed heavy is Lindor's a switch hitter. Conforto can hit lefties. Dom Smith can hit lefties. McNeil can hit anybody. So you don't have a left-handed heavy lineup that's not good at hitting left-handed pitching. So that's a good thing. So what do I think the Mets need? Well, first and foremost, let's go here. The Mets need Thor. The Mets need to get to June with a good record. And then you infuse that rotation with Noah Syndergaard, who is good. I just got a good feeling about him this year. 
I really hope he's as good as I think he's going to be because I think he's going to have an amazing season uh, coming off Tommy John. I do think they will limit him, which is why Lucchese, Peterson, and Yamamoto are going to be very, very important as the season progresses into the dog days of summer and August and then getting into September pennant race. Having a fresh arm like Cindergard, limiting innings uh, at times when you can of the top end of your rotation is going to do nothing but benefit the Mets in the long run. Uh, as far as the bullpen goes, the New York Mets will go as far as the bullpen goes. And having the guy who is the odds-on favorite to win the Cy Young, having a quality number two in Marcus Stroman, having Taiwan Walker and Lucchese and Syndergaard and Carrasco, you have a good rotation. Two years ago, the Mets blew something like 27 saves. Um, now let's... Let's call it... 12, let's call it 15 that they blew, because you come back in some of those games and you tie it and what have you. Let's call it 15. Well, the Mets won 89 games in 2019. If they would have only blown seven, cut that number in half. Cut the number of blown saves in half, and guess what? The New York Mets win 97 games and are in a flat-footed tie with the Atlanta Braves who they swept the final weekend of the season. That would have forced a game 163, and whoever got in, got in. But you know who wouldn't have gotten in? The eventual world champion, Washington Nationals. Because either the Mets or the Braves would have been the other wildcard team. So that is where the Met bullpen let them down. This was a playoff team in 2019. Couldn't get it done. Um, Edwin Diaz was very good last year. I know I have said, and when Alex listens to this and then talks to me on Saturday, he will say, Mike, you hate this man and you want him deported. Very true. If he can pitch the way he pitched last year, this year, and limit limit being predictable, don't throw a pitch in the same spot two pitches in a row. Guys figure it out. Good hitters figure that out. He can be absolutely insanely good. I don't know what's going on with Dylan, but Dylan Batances and Juris Familia. I, Batances is coming off of a bad injury that probably needed more time to heal. Familia, I don't know what happened to him. This is a guy who five years ago saved 51 games to set a Met record and got us to an eyelash of going to play the Cubs in the division series. Then he gave up the home run to Connor Gillespie. Um, Brandon Loop, I don't know too much about. He was very good for the American League champion Tampa Bay Rays. Um, he has done everything in, uh, in the bullpen that you can. Um, he has, the only thing he hasn't done is been an opener, which he said he's willing to do if he needs to. He's the kind of lefty who doesn't overpower you, but he does throw hard enough to get you with a changeup. From both sides of the plate, I've seen him this spring throw a same-side changeup to a lefty. Very good. Um, Gesellman is your ground ball guy. When his sinker is going, it is phenomenal. It's almost as good as Roger McDowell's, and I just aged myself. Um, Juan Castro, who they brought over from Baltimore last year, Threw the ball very, very well. 
Uh, he was the power arm the Mets needed besides Diaz, and he got the job done a good chunk of the time. Now he had his blow-ups, but he did get the job done the majority of the time. I think Jerry Blevins is going to be an absolute wonderful player to have around. Uh, I think he'll be very good at what he does in that bullpen and be that guy where if you got multiple left-handed hitters who are big coming up in a row, you bring him in, he slams the door. The other thing, too, is if you think about Atlanta, Ozzie Albies usually bats in front of Freddie Freeman, and Albies hits better from the left side than the right. So you turn Albies around, you face Freeman, and then you get the next guy in line. So there's that. As far as the everyday players go, Brandon Nimmo, I th and this is what I would do if I was the Mets. I think Nimmo should platoon. I really do. I think you have two very quality center fielders in Albert Almora and Kevin Pillar who you can platoon with Brandon Nimmo and make up the offensive slack that people think the Mets need to make up. At the same time, that means every time a lefty goes, your defense is through the roof because Almora is great. Pilar is still very good out there. Michael Conforto, I think, could win a gold glove in the outfield. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he plays a very good right field. Francisco Lindor is the best shortstop in the National League. It's not even a question. Trevor Story, no. It's Francisco Lindor. He has put a deadline of the beginning of the season uh, on talks to stay a Met for an extended period of time. I Listen, they got to get it done. They have to get this deal done. They didn't give up much to get him. But you have to get the deal done. He's got to stay. You're going to have to pay him $300 million. Pay him. This is a once-in-a-generation talent of shortstop. Michael Conforto in right field is the other one the Mets have to pay. He is the kid that they wanted to build around post-David Wright, and they've started to. Adding Lindor, having Alonso, getting Dom Smith to the big leagues and having him change positions so he can play every day. Jeff McNeil, who knew where he was going to come from, but you've now built around Conforto and DeGrom, for that matter. You need to keep the pieces there. So Conforto is a three-hitter. I think Conforto's going to hit close to 300. He's going to hit 30 bombs. He's going to drive in close to 100 runs. The guy I can't wait to see with the way he's hitting right now is Pete Alonso. He is just crushing the baseball. The hitch in his swing is gone. Now, for those just listening, what I'm about to do is I'm going to put my hands up like I'm hitting right-handed where Alonzo's were. And what he would do is he would take his hands back and up and loop and hit very well last year. In 2019, when Pete hit 53 home runs, he was to the ball. He wasn't back and then to the ball. He has taken the hitch out of the swing. He is squaring the baseball up, but he's using all fields, which is how Pete was able to hit so many home runs and stay out of prolonged slumps in 2019 by spraying the ball all over. Now, when he gets a hold of one and pulls it, it goes a long way, but he doesn't lock himself into just doing that anymore, which is huge for him. Dominic Smith had his coming out party last year, and he was outstanding. I think a full 162-game season, you won't see quite the leap in stats as you did last year, but I think you will see a more consistent player. He does need to work on his defense. I will say it again. 
the New York Mets' long-term solution to the defense of this team is to move Pete Alonso to third base and put Dominic Smith at first for good. But right now in left field, MLB, MLB Network had him as one of the top ten left fielders in the game now. Jeff McNeil at second base, hitting way down in the lineup. I think you could actually switch him and Nimmo out if you wanted to. But McNeil's going to hit you close to 300. He's going to contend for, a, or over 300. He's going to contend for a batting title. It's a, he's a great player. He's a great hitter. He's having a bad spring training. Who cares? J.D. Davis at third base every day. This is the one place I think the Mets could upgrade. And it's not that I don't enjoy J.D. Davis, because I really do. But if you're going to keep Dom Smith in left field and keep Pete Alonso at first, adding a third baseman that you can put into the middle of the lineup with Alonso and Conforto and Dom Smith, as opposed to J.D. Davis, you're going to have to hit toward the bottom, that makes this lineup that much longer. Listen, J.D.'s a good player. Defensively, I think he's going to, he has some issues at third, but they're getting progressively better. He's the other one I think they should platoon, and I think they should platoon him with Luis Guillorme. Guillorme's the real deal. The 22 pitch at bat notwithstanding, he is good defensively. He's a good stick. Let him play against the right-handed pitching. Let J.D. play against the lefties. Listen, McCann could be an all-star. He's got a great arm. He is now understanding the pitching staff, which is paramount. I don't care what a catcher hits. Not everybody's going to be Mike Piazza. There was only one of those. But McCann understanding the pitching staff is paramount to this team being as good as it is. Because for the 59 years the New York Mets have been around, they have been an uh, organization built on pitching. They are still an organization built on pitching. He is the guy that will make this go. So, if I'm putting numbers on it, the New York Mets win the National League East with 95 wins. Vegas is 90 and a half on the over-under. This is not a stretch. This is a very good and very deep baseball team. So the Mets will win the Eastern Division. I have the St. Louis Cardinals winning the Central. Adding Nolan Arenado to that team. Still having Matt Carpenter. Getting Wainwright back. Getting Yachty back. Getting these young pitchers to come along and these young players coming up to come along. The Cardinals are going to do damage. The Los Angeles Dodgers will win the National League West and win it going away. The two wild card teams. The Atlanta Braves. And I said this on the other night. I'm going to change my mind. And I'm, when I was with Alex, I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to say the San Diego Padres. Uh, they're too loaded. I, I've watched some of their tape. They're just too loaded. In the American League, we'll start in the East, and it's going to be the Yankees again. The Yankees are going to win the the National League, the American League East. Uh, the Chicago White Sox in the Central. Um, they are loaded for bear with both young players and good veterans. Um, Oakland wins the West. The Athletics, a second consecutive, or maybe even third consecutive playoff appearance. Uh, the two wild card teams, the Minnesota Twins, 
and the Angels. Mike Trout's got to get back in the playoffs. With a healthy Shohei Otani, Albert Pujols on his farewell tour, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, this is a loaded lineup. Getting Ricelli Iglesias from Cincinnati to close was humongous, but they needed to add to their rotation depth. They didn't quite do that. Let's see how it works out. Going from there, I believe the Dodgers are going over 100 games. They're going to be the one seed. So the Mets will pull the Cardinals in the division series. I believe the Dodgers will get San Diego in their division series. Over in the American League, the Yankees will win the most games, and I think the Yankees are going to get the Angels in that first round as the White Sox will play Oakland. Mike Trout's playoff run this year ends in the division series as the Yankees move on to the LCS, and I believe the White Sox will win that series and move on to the LCS to play the Yankees. I'm about to make Alex very, very happy, and for the first time in 16 years, the Chicago White Sox will win the pennant and go to the World Series. So you got the Chicago White Sox in the World Series. Look, the Mets have more pitching than the Cardinals. You're going to get a five-game series where you're going to have to beat DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, and Carrasco. It's not happening. And then DeGrom in Game 5, if it goes that far. It's not happening. Mets beat the Cardinals and go on to play in the LCS against the San Diego Padres. I have done some reading and some research, and I am flipping the script, and I believe the Padres will beat the Dodgers in a five-game series. Uh, they are loaded for bear, and they are ready to play. But then the high strikeout lineup runs into the high strikeout staff, and the New York Mets win the pennant for the second time since 2015. Hey guys, guess you're never gonna bet you're never gonna guess who I think is winning the World Series this year. In seven games, the New York Mets will break the hearts of the city of Chicago for the second time since 2015 and win the World Series. I have picked the Mets to win the World Series before, and it has been left in my face. This team can do it. The depth in the pitching rotation. The depth in the bullpen, because they got arms in the minor leagues that are major league ready, but they're sending them down. The depth in the lineup. The financial flexibility to add players if they need to. This is a different Mets team. And in his first year at the helm, Steve Cohen gets a World Series that this city will never forget. So there it is. I've made two predictions tonight. I've been a homer, but I've backed up every single one of them. Ohio State can play some defense, and if Washington and Liddell can get off like they did in the Big Ten tournament, they can string some wins together, and you never know what happens in the tournament. If the Mets stay healthy and play to the backs of their baseball cards, the New York Mets are the best team in the National League and will win the World Series. Awards. I honestly think the National League MVP is going to be Fernando Tatis Jr. He is going to have a year for the ages. I can just feel it. Hopefully the MLB The Show curse isn't as bad as the Madden one. National League Cy Young. Shocker. It's the guy who in spring training is hitting a buck two on the gun and painting it like he's Picasso. Jacob deGrom. He's going to win his third in four years and cement himself into a Hall of Fame conversation. In the American League, 
Dark Horse for MVP. Honestly, I think he's going to do it as for us uh, again. It's Mike Trout. Uh, Trout's the best player in the game. It's not even. It's mathematic. Trout's the best player in the game. Cy Young's a different animal. Actually, no, it's not. Um, Cy Young is going to be Shane Bieber again. I just love him. Shane Bieber wins a Cy Young for the second year in a row. Listen, the guy was undefeated last year. I mean, he was just so good, and he's getting better every year. So Bieber and DeGrom win the Cy Youngs. Trout and uh, Fernando Tatis win the MVPs. So here's what's coming up on Big Recon. Again, this weekend I will put up an episode. Alex and I will actually dive into the NFL hot stove and all the wheeling and dealing and moving that's been going on. We're going to touch about our two teams and what we think they're going to do um, or what they have done already. And I'm, I'm going to – Alex is, like, ready to hurt somebody. I, he's ready to just – kill someone in the Chicago Bears uh, organization. March the 28th, Sunday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, is the first annual Big Recon NFL Mock Draft. Uh, again, Frank from Clubhouse Sports, Tone from Bucketeers and Cardboard and Cracker Jacks, Alex from Row 7 and myself, will do all 32 picks in the first round. We each have certain divisions we're doing. I'm doing the AFC North and West. Alex is doing the NFC North and NFC West. Tone is doing the two South divisions. And Frank is doing the two Eastern divisions. Going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't talked to Frank since the draft last year. So this is going to be great. I'm still deciding if I am doing either live tweeting or if I'm going to do a live hit for the NFL draft, uh, which is live from Cleveland this year. I haven't decided yet. That's a long night. Um, if I live tweet it, I can lay in bed and do that. So, as always, Big Recon can be found as a proud member of the TimeSkew Podcast Network and can be found at TimeSkew.com. Guys, we're getting into NFL free agency and fantasy implications. Again, TimeSkew, best place to go. Here on YouTube, Big Recon on Sports. On Twitter, at Big Recon on Sport. Facebook, Big Recon on Sports. Google. Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public for the audio. Have a great rest of your week. We are 15 days from the next day that should be a national holiday that's not election day, and that is opening day. Have a good rest of your week. I'll see you guys over the weekend. Go Bucks. Let's go Mets. <laughs>